Well, good morning, friends. It is good to be with everybody this morning. Uh, not sure if it's your first time with us this morning, maybe your first time in a long time. Uh, not sure if your parents grabbed you by the neck and forced you to come, or if your spouse uh, did the same. But regardless of why you're here, how you got here, I'm just glad that you are. Proud of you. Proud of this church. Excited that God is working through us, using us to do incredible things. And so just want to say thank you uh, to who you are, for who you are, what you're doing, and uh, allowing God to use you in some incredible ways. All right, now that I've got you buttered up, <laughs> test time. Test time. We're in the middle of the power of one. It's kind of our ministry and theme for the, uh, the, the, the year. It's a focus that we're doing. Seven challenges, seven ideas, ways that we're trying as a church to practically put into motion and practically put into place the words written above uh, this stage. And so it's seven things. They make for cool banners, but the goal is for new behaviors out of these seven things. And so I know that in school, the first round of tests has come and gone. And so it, same is true here. It's test time. We have to, as a church, err on the side of action, right? Jesus is a big believer in saying the right thing and believing the right thing, but throughout the word, he constantly says, you also have to do the right thing. Don't simply be hearers of the power of one, but be doers of the power of one. So let me pick two and see how we're doing. Let's start with the memorize one. We've chosen two verses over the last two months for us as a church to memorize, Ephesians 4, three through six, and John 7, 37 to 39. How many people, by a show of hands, have memorized those two verses? We have two. W would you mind standing and maybe reciting them for us? I mean, you're the only two that raised your hands, and so it's worth a shot. We will, we will graciously walk you through it. That's okay. Okay, first half of the first one. That's better than everybody else, it sounds like. Something like that, yeah, something like that, yeah, yeah. That's perfect, it's a great start, right? One faith, one hope, one baptism, hey. Yep, yep, I'm just proud that you've tried. You get to go to recess today, nobody else does, okay? Okay, we haven't done so well on the memorized one, doesn't look like it by so well, I mean horrible. Uh, we need to put those passages deep in our minds and hearts, okay? So this week, let's, let's do it again. Ephesians 4, John 7, I just believe powerfully and really, really, um, I just, I just believe in the power of the word inside of us, right? And so I just want to challenge you. Try to memorize those verses. Okay, let, let's do the last one, the blessed one. Who has chosen a family or a friend or a coworker and, and intentionally invested in their lives? Anybody by a show of hands kind of chosen somebody to pour into? Uh, would y'all want to share with us maybe real fast who that is or how that's going? Yeah, yeah, share with us real fast. Okay. Yeah. Five years? Okay. Oh, it's so good to have you with us. Welcome. Welcome. Proud of you guys for, for just loving people around you and trying to put your faith into practice. Again, guys, I want us as a church to always err on the side of action. Okay? There's action and there's apathy, and we as a church have to be on the right side. And I'm hoping that this morning's passage will really kind of blow our minds in that regard and really force us 
uh, to be on the side of action as opposed to the other. So let me pray for our sacred text and our sacred study, and we'll jump right into it. Father, I thank you so much for this church, for their hearts, uh, for their presence this morning. But we do ask, God, that you would change us. This world makes it hard for us to, to even do simple things like memorize a passage, God, that doesn't come easy and it's difficult for us to spend the time and to devote ourselves to that. But we want to be people who love you, who serve you, and who put that love and that service into action, Father. We want to be people that are different, that stand out. We want to be folks that can change this world and make it like you originally intended it to be. And we need your help. We need you to come and empower us, as that song said, from the inside out with your Holy Spirit to make it happen. Would you do that now? We ask again for the Spirit to come and to speak and to indwell, possibly to infuse us each. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're currently in a series entitled Sacred Letters. If you're with us for the first time or haven't, haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, we're taking a closer look at those words in red that are found throughout a lot of Bibles. These words were spoken by Christ. These are special words. These words, unlike all other words, seem to have power to change us from the inside out and now as well as for all of eternity. Unlike all other words that we're inundated with day in and day out, there's something about those red letter words, isn't there? And so we've been taking a look each week at these different words, and I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but these words, these phrases of Christ, they build off of one another. So it starts with Jesus saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He basically says, God is about to break out and break into this world in ways you've never, ever seen, and I want you to be ready for it. Come back, turn around, turn back, prepare your life so God can work. But not only does God tell you to get ready for all of that, he actually then invites you into all of it. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, and then come and be a part of it. Come and follow me, he says, I'll make you fishers of men. Come and allow me to reimagine, reinvent, rewrite your gifts, your calling, your entire story. Jesus invites you, forget about the mundane, lift your eyes to the majestic. Don't focus only on the earthly, instead start to be consumed by the eternal. Now that call is hard, isn't it? To drop everything you've ever known, to do something different, to step out in faith, to be courageous for Christ. And that's why the next thing he says is, don't worry, I will infuse you with power so you can do that. I will fill you, as we looked at last week, with living water, this source of power, this Holy Spirit, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. God will put that spirit in you so you have all that you need and more to do what he's asking you to do. He says, come and drink from me, and a stream of living water will satisfy your soul and your stomach, and you will have everything you need to emulate me. And then we learn today that we are now filled with this spirit, not for our sake, but for the sake of everybody around us. So let's read Mark 6 together, beginning in verse 30. It says this, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Sounds like it was book report time for the disciples and they had to tell Jesus what they've learned and studied thus far. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Let's just get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many, all the crowds who saw them leaving, recognized them and ran on foot from all of the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw such a large crowd, he was so upset and started yelling at them to run away. I'm tired of you, I don't want to deal with it. No, it says he had compassion on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many, many things. By this time it was late in the day and so the disciples came and said, this is a remote place. 
It's already getting pretty late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and the villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus said, you give them something to eat. They said to him, Lord, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to this entire crowd to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks. He broke the bread. He gave it to the disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. And everyone ate and was satisfied. And the disciples then picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men alone who had eaten that day was over 5,000. What an incredible story. Let's see if we can't make some sense of it. It always seems to happen this way, doesn't it? Just as you're about to sit down for a nice, quiet, romantic dinner, the phone rings. Or just as you snuggle up next to the fire with your favorite book or your prayer journal, one of your kids has a breakdown. Just as you're about to enjoy that new bottle of soda, <laughs> you get called into work. Something in the house starts to beep or drip or break or worse. You know this feeling? It just seems like your quiet time with the Lord, your alone time, any of that kind of R&R time, it turns out to be the most chaotic time, possibly the most stressful time in the entire day. Well, if you can relate to that feeling and that experience, you're not alone because the disciples certainly could. As they're on their way to a little personal retreat with Jesus, it says the huge crowds that were following Jesus, they catch wind of their plans to escape and they actually run around the lake and get to the other side before the guys on the boat get there. It turns in or turns from a quiet retreat center into this mini mosh pit. It's kind of what I'm imagining. So much for R&R, so much for relaxation and rest. And as the crowds get larger, the sunlight begins to get a little dimmer. But more importantly, the disciples' patience level begins to get a little thinner. So they make a simple request. And it's one that most of us can relate to because we would probably make the same request or actually have. Jesus, just send the people away. Just get them out of here. Now, first of all, Jesus, it's getting late. There's nothing to eat around here. We're in the middle of nowhere. Would you just send the people away so they can go find and buy some dinner? But I think the request is more than that. The request is, Jesus, would you send the people away so we can just have a little alone time? Can you put the kids to bed early? Can you just come home a little bit early from work? Right? It's one of these requests. I just want to be alone right now. And it's a reasonable enough request. We shouldn't yell at them or get mad at them for making it. It's been a long day. The disciples are probably working their 10th their straight 12-hour shift. Crowds are growing larger and getting a little testier by the minute. Babies are starting to cry. Backs are starting to hurt. Bellies are starting to rumble. And Lord, I'm not sure if you know this, but the Broncos are playing the Seahawks today. <laughs> and so if we just wrap this whole little ministry thing up, that'd be great. Yeah, you've made this request before. Send the pastor away. But they ask, maybe angrily, maybe 
tongue in cheek. I'm not sure how they asked, but they asked for the Lord to just send the people away. Now, before we go any further in this text, let me ask you a simple question, yet a difficult question. How do you typically respond to the situations depicted up on the screen? How do you respond to news of wars, famines, something like the Ebola breakout? How do you respond when you hear of scandals, moral failures, natural disasters? How do you respond to the rise in the AIDS crisis in Africa or teenage pregnancies in America or human trafficking in Asia? Take your pick. There's enough problems to go around, aren't there? How do you respond to these problems? Here's the question. How do you respond to the brokenness, the neediness, and the problems of this world? Some people would look at all those situations, they look at all the evil in the world, and they honestly look forward to the destruction of all of it. This is a good riddance approach to the world. Others look at all the pain and the chaos and the evil, and they sit back and they wait for God to remove them from it, to get them out of town. This is the good heavens approach. Others just assume that it's God's responsibility. He will at some point, in one way or another, as he sees fit, step in and do something miraculous about it. This is the good Lord approach. But there's a problem with all of these approaches, Christian. Those aren't options for us. Cursing the darkness, good riddance, is not an option for us. Abandoning those in the darkness is not an option for us. Sitting idly by and waiting for God to just take care of all the problems on his own is not an option for us. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, if we're going to bear his name, and more importantly, bear his image, we've got to come to terms with the fact that Jesus always sees, feels, and responds to the problems that he encounters. He always sees, feels, and responds to problems. He always exercises his power for the good of others. Even though he's exhausted, even though all he wanted to do was just go hang out with his buddies for a night, chances are very likely that th this day, the feeding of the 5,000 started with Jesus hearing about his cousin and ministry mentor, John the Baptist, being beheaded. He's mourning the loss of one of his closest friends and relatives. He's tired. He wants to be alone. And yet, what does he do? He doesn't turn away from the people. He doesn't turn his back on the problems. He doesn't ignore the pain. Rest is great. Rescuing people is greater. It's important to have some rest. I get that. I want to rest with you. We will rest for all of eternity. Right now, there's work to do. Right now, we need to rescue people. Don't send them away, he says. Give them something to eat. As he looks out at that sea of people, 5,000 men plus thousands of other women, children, he looks out at the sea of needs and hurts. He looks out at all the problems in the world. He looks at those pictures that we just put on the screen and his heart breaks. He desires for them to find life and he believes it's his disciples' responsibility to make it happen. Simple as that. He hurts for them. He wants them to find life and it's your responsibility to do something about it. Don't send them away. Give them something to eat. Peter, don't send them away. You address their problems. Thomas, you visit them and clothe them and love them. You invest in their life and show them a better way. John, Matthew, you help pay the mortgage. 
Mark, you help salvage the marriage. You sacrifice your time to help that man overcome an addiction that's ripping apart his family. James, you pull the weeds. You wash the floor. You meet the needs of the people. You address the problems that you see in this world. Don't send them away. Don't dismiss them. Don't make light of the problems or turn a blind eye to the problems or make excuses for why you can't do anything about the problems. Give them something to eat. I know it's not a good time for you. I know you're tired. I know it's an interruption to your schedule. I know it's going to cost you a little bit, but don't send them away. Meet their needs. Can you imagine hearing that response to your request to send the people away? Jesus, get them out of here. <laughs> yeah, we want to be alone with you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you guys ready? Yeah, let's get out. Huh? You give them something, us? Give. And if we're honest with ourselves, we typically respond to that statement, give them something to eat, the same way the disciples did. Are you crazy, man? Are you serious, Jesus? You, Jesus, you are such a jokester. You funny guy. Exaggeration, you give them something to eat. Now, if only that were the case. But we respond that way, don't we, Jesus? Do you have any clue what you're asking us to do? Feeding that many people would cost thousands of dollars. Meeting the needs of this world would take so much time and so much energy and so many resources. Jesus, you can't possibly be serious. I mean, where would we even begin? 13 guys feeding 5,000 men? One little church meeting the needs of all of Littleton? One religion meeting the needs of the entire world? Are you serious, Jesus? You are crazy. Plus, Jesus, I'm not sure if you understand this, but if we give away everything we have to everybody else, we won't have any for ourselves. The pie is small, and I better make sure my piece is big because when it runs out, I want to make sure I've got some for myself. Oh, Jesus, what you're asking us to do, it's impractical and it's impossible. And I love how Jesus responds. I love he doesn't really even seem all that concerned or focused on the improbability, the impracticality, or the impossibility. What do you have, he says. What do you have? And why don't you start focusing on that versus always focusing on what you don't have? What can you do? And why don't you start doing that instead of talking about all the things you can't do? What resources do you have at your disposal instead of harping on and complaining about all the resources you don't have at your disposal? Jesus knows they don't have much. In fact, he's the one that made that a reality. A few passages before this, he says, hey, when you guys go out for ministry, don't take anything with you. So I, could, I, I would respond, Thomas being asked, you give him something to eat, Jesus, not sure if you remember this, you told me to give everything away already. I got nothing left. You know that food I was supposed to share with the 5,000? Yeah, I gave that away several chapters ago. Now what do I do? Jesus knows they don't have much, but he has to get them to realize that they have him. You don't have much, but you have the Messiah. And that changes everything. Deficiency is not news to him. He can make up for and will make up for every shortage. He will fill in every gap. He will cover every difference. And he's trying to get the disciples to see that, and he wants us to see that. He knows you don't have much, Christian. He knows that, but you have him. We talked about this last week. You have the Spirit. 
And so, okay, you don't know every question or every answer to every question in the Bible. You're not a ministry major. You didn't go to seminary. You don't know how to talk about dinosaurs or creation or end times or predestination. I get that. You don't know everything there is to know about the Bible. But you know a couple things. You know Jesus loves you. You know God's got a purpose and a plan for you. Why don't you share that little nugget and not worry about all the ones you don't have? Why don't you take the one little thing you do know? Jesus, I've got this. Can you use this? I know that that helping people fix their marriages is way above your pay grade. You're not an MFT. You you, you haven't gone to to school. You're not trained to help somebody walk through a difficult season in their marriage. But, But maybe if you've been married for a while, you've got a little something to offer. Maybe you can share your struggles. Maybe you can share your highs and lows. Maybe you can share how you got through difficult times. You don't have all of this. I get it, but you got this. Why don't you give that? See how that works out. What do you have, he says. And some of you aren't exactly sure what you have. That's why he says, go and see. Just take a little evaluation of your life for a second and see what you do have because you have so much more than you're probably even aware of. Well, I guess I've got a couple extra minutes every day. Got a couple casserole recipes I know how to whip up. Got an extra bedroom. Got some experience in that area. I've got a little bit of extra money. I've got an extra dollar. Jesus, can you use this? Are are you serious? You could take this and feed the masses with it? Yes, he's serious. He can do it and he will do it. He specializes in doing it. He takes this little meager amount that the disciples offer and he feeds everyone. Look at verses 42 and 43 again. This is one of my favorite in all of scripture. It's this beautiful depiction of the kingdom come. Everyone ate and was satisfied. That's the kingdom, isn't it? When everyone in this world is satisfied, truly, deeply satisfied. That's Isaiah 55, come to fruition. They all ate, all 5,000. Oh, and guess what? When the disciples gave away what they had, at the end of it, they had to pick up a bunch of extra stuff. There was enough to go around. Because when Jesus is involved, there's always more where that came from. Always. Now, some try to explain away this story, especially the miraculous nature of it. Some think the crowd, they all busted out their, their lunch pails and just shared with each other. And that's a powerful story, but it's not true. Others think that, that Jesus hid food in the mountain somewhere. Like, oh, by the way, woohoo, looky here. Again, you could preach that, but you shouldn't. Others think that they had these little five loaves so everybody got a crumb and Jesus can take a crumb and satisfy you with the crumb. You know what I think happened? I think Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish and gave everybody the best fish and chips meal they've ever had. It was a plate full, it was real, and they ate it. It was miraculous. But more than that, you know what Jesus did here? Jesus invited his followers to tackle a seemingly impossible situation with limited resources and to allow God to fill in the gap. That was the invitation in this story. Human trafficking, Ebola, seemingly impossible situation with no answer, limited resources, Use what you have, allow God to fill in the rest, and prove to you he is almighty. 
See, if Jesus can take five loaves of bread and two fish and feed 5,000 men, probably 10,000, 15,000 people total, I think he can take whatever little bit you have and he can use it to do indescribable good. That one invite, that one hour, that one act of service, that one little prayer, whatever little fish and chip basket you have, give it to Jesus and just watch and see what he can do with it. If you have to err on the side, err on the side of action. Err on the side of at least trying. Err on the side of giving it away. Jesus doesn't really ever rebuke the disciples for doing the wrong thing. He rebukes them for not doing anything. He doesn't rebuke them for uh, trying and failing. He rebukes them, especially in Matthew 25, for not trying at all. And this isn't a truth that that I just kind of stumbled on in this passage. This truth, this idea of partnering with God, this idea of giving God whatever we have so he can use it to do incredible things, things so much bigger than us, this is throughout all of Scripture. And it's in places you might not have ever seen it before. Romans 8.28. How many of us know Romans 8.28? It's a passage that maybe we should have chosen that for our first memory verse, right? We've already got it down. The four of us do. So Romans 8.28 is a passage that Christians go to all the time. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been a calling to his purpose, right? We know this passage. And we know, we don't think, we don't guess, we don't just hope, we know that in all things, not just big things, not just small things, not just good things, not just Christian things, all things, God works. He's not on the sideline, he's not out of the game, he's not distant or apathetic, but God is working for the good. Everything is working out for our good. Not just mm, mediocre, not just okay, but it's going to be good at the end of it, right? God works for the good of those who love him. Yes, Romans 8.28. Things are bad right now. Things are tough. Romans 8.28. Going through a difficult time right now. Your kids are crazy. Romans 8.28. Marriage is on the rocks. Work's not turning out too well. Finances are in trouble. Romans 8.28. We know and love Romans 8.28. I don't want to mess you up too bad this morning, but let me show you how Romans 8.28 actually could be translated. There's a very different version. It goes like this. And we know that in all things God works, amen, same truth, together with those who love him to bring about what is good with those who have been called according to his purpose. See the difference? Many of you have a little footnote after Romans 8, 28 says, oh yeah, by the way, it could read like this. It probably is true on both ends, but they read so different. The first is kind of me sitting back, letting God just do what God does. The second is me saying, God, you use me to do what you do. You use me to accomplish the good that you want to bring about. God works together with those who love him to bring about the good that this world so desperately needs. Christian, you've been called to use whatever you have to partner with God to do what you can't do on your own. People will ask me what God is doing about this situation or that situation, right? They'll typically, with disgust, excuse me, or with anger, try to prove to me that God isn't real because of all the evil in this world. Well, if God is real, then why is there so much bad things happening in this world? It's obvious that God doesn't care, right? God isn't doing anything, people will say to me. And my response to them is, are you kidding me? God not doing anything? He has commissioned and sent forth the largest mass of people, the largest army of people this world's ever seen, it's called the church. And not only has he called them, he's empowered them with his spirit from on high to do something about all the problems in this world. God doesn't care, God's not doing anything. Wrong. He called the church. 
He called humanity to do something about the problems. God cares about physical needs, about relational needs, about spiritual needs. And so he says, church, give them something to eat. Don't send them away. Do something about it. Now, how exactly does that happen? How do you go about partnering with God and offering up whatever little bit you have for him to do incredible things? I mean, you're talking about those issues we we looked at before on the screen. Where do you start? If you're anything like me, you look at those problems and they're so overwhelming. You don't even know where to begin. God, I've got this little bit to offer, but I don't know what to do with it. Let me end by sharing four suggestions for you that I think actually tie beautifully into what happened in this story. It's funny because these four things are actually what Jesus literally did with the bread in this story. It's actually what he does with the bread in every story that he breaks the bread. Jesus chooses bread, then he blesses it, thanks God for it, then he breaks it, then he shares it. Four things, chosen, blessed, broken, and shared. That's how he used this bread to feed the masses, and I think it's how he uses this bread, this life, to feed the people around as well. Let me walk through those four things with you quickly. I think our journeys need to follow this same pattern. The first is that God chooses us out of a pile of bread, out of all the different loaves that are out there. God says, hey, Thomas, why don't you come on over here to West Bowles and leave the church? What? But he does this all the time, doesn't he? He chooses this teenage girl in the middle of nowhere to be the mother of his son. He chooses this crazy shepherd boy out in the middle of the field to lead his people. He chooses ex-murderers to lead the, the, the charge to freedom. God chooses ordinary, average, at best, sinful, messed up, flawed people at worst. He chooses them to do the incredible, does he not? God chooses people. He looks down from heaven and he says, you'll do. I want to use you. Out of all the bread that's out there, I'm choosing you. And if you've been wondering whether or not God knows you, has called you, has chosen you, just stop. Stop wondering. The fact that you were here this morning proves it to me. You are hearing this message because God wants you to know you've been chosen by him. He's handpicked you out of all the rest to do incredible things through him and with him and for him. You're ordinary. I get that. You're probably not good enough, I get that. You're not smart enough, you're not spiritual enough, I get that. But you've been chosen to be used by God to do incredible things. And after we're chosen by God, he blesses us, doesn't he? He he thanks God for us and he showers us with only things that he can shower us with. God would never call you to do something and then kind of leave you high and dry to do it. So he calls you, he he commissions and selects you out and then he blesses you. He gives you what you're going to need. Maybe for us that means forgiveness or a second chance, a fresh start. Some of us, our blessing is a new calling, a new opportunity, and a new marriage. But but we're chosen by God and then we're blessed by God. He gives us exactly what we need to carry out our calling. And we have to recognize these blessings. We have to thank God as Jesus did for the bread. We have to thank him for the ways that he has imparted on us talents and treasures, maybe more than any other group in all of history. And what this is, this is a part of the Abrahamic covenant. This is part of of God saying, I'm going to choose you, Abraham, out of everybody else just because I wanted to. Your hairdo is kind of funny, so I think I want to choose you. Maybe you don't have any hair, so I have pity on you. I I don't know why he chose Abraham, but he did. So he chooses Abraham, and he says, I'm going to bless you in ways you've never even thought possible. But I'm going to do it so you can be a blessing to everybody else. 
He chooses us, and then he blesses us. He gives us these things that we so desperately need. So don't take your family for granted, okay? Don't take your friends for granted. Don't take your food for granted. Don't take your faith for granted. Appreciate them. Give thanks for them. See, see them for what they are. They're a blessing. And then out of the blessing, I think God does something that we're not altogether comfortable with, but then he breaks us. Sorry, cleanup crew. He chooses us, blesses us, and then what does he do with the bread? He breaks it. Now, I don't want to get into all the deep theological reasons for why there's pain and suffering in the world, and especially for Christians, but I do know this. The Lord, for one reason or another, refines us, prunes us, breaks us. This could be pain, this could be loss, this could be disease, this could be disappointment, this could be spiritual battles. But in one way or another, God expands us. He tears us apart so that he can then do the last, which is share us. See, but some of you think that the pain you've gone through is your own wrongdoing, or that God is upset with you, or trying to spite you for something. Nothing could be further from the truth. You've been broken so many times because he wants to share you so many times. And some of you are in that place right now. You feel like your life is being ripped apart, like I'm ripping this bread apart. It could be relationships. It could be your finances. It could be your job. And if you're in that place right now, that place of breaking, I just want to tell you, hang on. Hold on. Look to him. Maybe your body's giving out. Maybe your bank account's giving out. Maybe your friends are giving up on you, but God is not. He is simply taking the bread that he's chosen and blessed, and he's just breaking it. He's just tearing it apart so he can do more with it. A lot of you have lost a lot of things. There's been a lot of tears shed in this church, a lot of funerals had in this church, a lot of memorials. God has broken this church, but it's because he's got something else in store for it. And that's the last piece of the puzzle. He chooses us, he blesses us, he breaks us, and then he shares us. See, now look at how much more I have to give up, to give around. After I broke it, I was able to pass it out to even more people. The same is true for your life. He ultimately wants to share you with this world. He wants to share your calling. He wants to share your blessings. And he wants to share your brokenness. He wants to take it all. He just wants to give it away. What you got? Let me see. So I can give it away to everybody else. He asks you to partner with him so you can share all that you have. So let's talk about these three real fast. Some of you need to start sharing your calling. You've been called to be a Christian and to make disciples. Go. Share Christ. Share the calling of God with somebody. Some of you have been, share, been called to share your blessings. Some of y'all have more resources at your disposal you know what to do with. Give them away. We have to start sharing those things with the world. So share your calling. Share your resources. And some of you, you need to start sharing your brokenness. Maybe because you're in the middle of it and you need help with it. And as you share it, honestly, I'm not doing that great today. Maybe someone will breathe life into you. But I guarantee you this, as you share your brokenness, as you share what's really going on, you will bring life into the masses. The best thing you can give somebody is actually your worst stuff. All right, if you come up to me and say, Thomas, how's it going today? And I'm like, it's good. I'm fine. Thank you for asking. Right? I don't really care about you. I'm just giving you a fake self. But if you say, Thomas, how's it really going today? Oh, man, I'm worried about the Broncos. I'm really worried. <laughs> but if I tell you, man, it's not going well at all. 
You know what that does? That shows that I respect you, that I trust you, that I need you, that I love you. If I give you my worst self, it actually shows you that I care. The best thing you can give the people in your life is your worst stuff. Share it. Share your brokenness. And I wonder if God will take your little fish and chip basket and feed the masses through it. I wonder if he'll take that extra thousand dollars you want to give and if he'll feed the masses through it. I wonder if he'll take that one invite to church or that one invite to read the Bible or that one invite to accept Christ. I wonder if he'll take that and feed the masses through it. I don't wonder. I know he will. He'll do it. Chosen, blessed, broken, shared. Four words that powerfully describe what happened on that hillside that day. And four words that I think describe this beautiful meal that we're going to take together. I think when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, it's not just sharing a meal together. Do this. Do the choosing. Do the blessing. Do the breaking. Do the sharing in memory of me. Do what you do, Christian, in memory of me. Because I was chosen. I was blessed. I was broken. And I was shared, Jesus said. And I want you to do the same. So we thought, what better way to symbolize and kind of emulate and and exemplify this than to take communion together? Some of you have never taken communion before, and so we're just going to ask for you to come. There's four tables kind of in the middle of the auditorium. Find one of those tables. Take a piece of bread. Take a cup. Go back to your chair. Think about how you've been chosen, blessed, broken, and now how God is asking you to share yourself. Some of you come from traditions where someone gives it to you. I'm not super comfortable with that. Just come and take it. Come and take it. Some of you come from traditions where you take this all the time, some where you've never taken it before. This is a neat meal for us to experience together, a time for us to say, Lord, what you did with this bread, what you did with this blood, we want you to do with us. Choose us, bless us, break us, share us for the good of the world so we can feed the masses. Amen? Let me pray over that, and then I'll send you out to these tables. God, We thank you so much for who you are and what you're able to do. You see the needs of the masses and you've always been responsive to them. And now we ask that we would have that same responsiveness. Would you choose us? Would we hear your voice call us today to solve the problems in this world? Would you bless us, God, from on high with only things that you could give, material and immaterial blessings to meet the needs of those around us? Would you break us, God? Would you tear us apart so there would be more to give? And would you share us? Would we take what we have, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and would we trust you and give it away? And would you again meet the needs and feed the masses with what we have to offer? Thank you for this meal. We take it now in honor and in memory of Jesus. Amen.